Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stalla from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. It's uh, not necessarily as hyped up as hard knocks in the NFL, but training camp does exist in the ECHL. It's not much of a spectacle, um, if at all, and it definitely starts later than every other league in North America. So I guess that's my segue into saying we want to get into training camp stuff, but it's a weird time to do it. Is it not, Justin? It is a weird time, and and I'm preparing for Fort Wayne's training camp to open on October, uh, I believe it's 9th. Uh, but it's sort of strange right now because players are preparing to go to AHL training camps. Yeah. So as a reporter, it's almost weird. Like, I don't like calling those guys this week because I don't want to start asking them what it's going to be like playing in Fort Wayne when I know they're still hopeful of making the right. AHL team. Mm-hmm. And it always puts me in this weird position because you do want to work ahead. But uh, I do think it speaks a little bit to the strange mindset for some of these players. Like you have to be ready for two training camps. And if you get sent back from the AHL camp, I think you still need to have that same mindset when you get to the ECHL camp. But, you know, we also, we've talked about it a lot. A lot of these guys who are elite scorers at this level are, you know, checking forwards at the AHL level. So I feel like they have to have two totally different games at two totally different camps within a two week period for some of these guys. And that's really unusual too, but you're right. We're, we're getting into it a little bit early. And you said it opens the ninth or seven. Sorry. I'm drawing a blank. Which date? Because uh, their first game's the 14th. So whatever it's, it's around it's this. It's, it's whatever that Monday is. So the okay. ninth, October so, 9th. Yeah. It's just kind of crazy how, even with there being such a short training camp, how the season starts still um, somewhat close to another leagues do. Oh yeah. And, and also quick turnaround. Yeah. Quick turn. I mean, speaking of quick turnarounds, you get, you open that camp. Most of the teams will open on Monday and then they're playing preseason games on Friday. I mean, yeah. so that's not a lot of time to get your systems in place here. We've got a new coach. Almost every single player is entirely new not a lot of time to teach them the X's and O's, the systems, what you're looking for. And then you just jump into gameplay. So it's, it's, it's wild at this level. And that's why a lot of these teams, you know, they need a month or two before yeah. you really get uh, a good gauge. I think we talked about last year. It's really, I don't start panicking about a team until it's like December 10th. I mean, that's when I'm right. like, okay, they're in trouble because sometimes mm-hmm. you just need that much time to, to get going. I'm curious. I know that you're not a coach, but I'm. you talk to a lot of them. I'm curious, um, to your knowledge, like when teams and coaches are recruiting, do you think that in the back of their mind or maybe not, maybe it's the forefront, they have an idea of what their roster is going to look like and then they kind of have a separate list or category of variables and, and scenarios and, and different ways it could shake out? Or is it really like first aid training camp? It's like, oh gosh, like thought we'd have this guy. Never mind. Like, is it, are there that many surprises? I think it's it's it has to be a fluid situation. And I'm thinking sure. of a specific season where, you know, a coach was like, oh, I, I pretty much know what the lineup's going to be. And it was also predicated on guys that were going to be sent down. And then all of a sudden you get there and it's, you know, the first week in November and the goalie that you were sure was going to be here didn't arrive. The top pair defenseman that you were sure was going to be anchoring the power play he doesn't arrive Mm -hmm. so everything has to be fluid i think last year 
Fort Wayne lost a top line player like three days before training camp because of a personal situation. And then you have to reshape everything. So I just think at this level, probably more than the AHL, NHL, uh, you have to just be prepared for anything. And that's why it's so, mm-hmm. it's such good preparation for these coaches because when they get up to the AHL, like there's really yeah. not much that they haven't been through before. Totally. But to answer your question, you know, I think you have, you have a lineup kind of penciled in, mm-hmm. but you have to be prepared for anything. You have to be, you know, there's always some guy that stands out in camp. And in, in my 25 years, almost every year, there's one guy in camp that you think is going to be a stud and he just can't hack Flops. it. And he's the mm-hmm. surprise cut. So everything's got to be fluid at this level. Yeah. In a lot of ways, ECHL recruiting is, is a crapshoot, kind of like drafting. You know, because a lot of they can only do so much in terms of scouting, right? NHL teams have whole departments. AHL have some help from their affiliates. ECHL, like you know, in talking to some coaches, it sometimes hockey DB is their best friend. I one time true. My one time my boss got I I don't want to say mad, but a little bit irritated because he didn't necessarily understand all of the the machinations that go on at this level. And so they Fort Wayne had a a really unfamiliar roster to us. And so our season preview package came out and one of the centerpiece stories was on a guy who uh, his name was Angelo Esposito. And uh, he was somehow related to Phil Esposito. I don't remember whether it was Wasn't a, like a first round pick. Wasn't he a first round pick? He was, uh, I'd have to go back, but I believe he was a high pick. Pretty sure yes. he was. Yeah. Or so yeah. we did a big, we did a big piece on this guy and he ends up getting cut or traded or something like, you know, first or second week of the season, my boss was kind of mad because he's like, well, you know, why did we make this guy the centerpiece? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> you just yeah. never know. Totally. Like I'm doing the best I can. You know, they're telling us this is going to be the guy. He didn't look necessarily great during preseason and, and things happen, but you know, that's just the ECHL for you. You know, one week you're sure. a top line guy, the next week you're off to Europe. And so as I started the show off by saying we're close to training camp, just over a week away And given what we just said, the reality is you can't really do a comprehensive training camp preview of every single team. There are some rosters that are bare as it is right now, and and that'll ramp up next couple days. But there are some storylines, team-related storylines, that we want to highlight. This episode, we'll do the Eastern Conference and pick a couple teams from each division um, heading into training camp. And again, great story Justin said there, but as editor being mad, these are very much subject to change. There could be something that comes in and alleviates all the questions that we have or whatever so bear with us on that but about eight days from from camp's opening we're gonna give us a shot yeah i definitely want to put that asterisk by you know like you said it's not just that we don't know the players who are going to be sent down from the ahl or the nhl Mm -hmm. but you know different teams are different have different approaches to how they announce their rosters You you can look at most of these teams you can figure out very clearly oh okay these are the 25 guys going to camp other teams you might be able to figure out two guys mm-hmm. uh, because they have different ways of doing things or they aren't under the pressure to announce it. So, you know, going off the information we have, I'm not saying these are the best teams. I'm saying these are the interesting storylines that I'm kind of watching as we go into camp. For sure. So let's start with the North Division. The Adirondack Thunder, our first team in front of the show, Pete MacArthur is their coach. Uh, a feel-good story late in the season, squeaked the playoffs on the last week in the season. What do we think about what they've done so far and what they're doing right now? Yeah, you know, Pete MacArthur got off to a really nice start last season. 
Um, you know, maybe not so so much the first half, but the way they finished to get in the playoffs was really impressive. Uh, you look at some of the signings they have. I think uh, re-signing Patrick Grasso was a great start. He had 37 goals, 59 points in 64 games, so almost a point per game. Sean Weller is back. Um, it's going to be his last professional season, we're told. He was an alternate captain last season. Uh, he's really good net front presence. He's played over 700 pro games. He's won the team's community service award. So, you know, a good community guy up in Glens Falls. And I'll give you a low key good signing that I like, and that's defenseman Ryan Wheeler. Uh, I saw him a bunch last year with the Iowa Heartlanders and the Cincinnati Cyclones. He had only 12 points, but 51 penalty minutes. I liked just kind of the blue collar attitude he had uh, at the blue line. And I think that really fit what Pete MacArthur does up there. So I, I like the roster they're putting together so far and, and, you know, they've got, they've set the standard at, at one level. And I think they're looking to make the jump, uh, you know, get past that first round this year. The Norfolk Admir Admirals, the league's worst team last year, they went 21, 46 and five. And it seems like they haven't really been relevant in a long time. Is there hope for the Admirals this year? I, I'm kind of excited about the Admirals. I, I'm a little bit nervous about, you know, pumping them up Tom too much because of, because I've been burned before. Uh, but, uh, you know, they played better as the season went along. And it seems that the approach they took was let's use the second half of the season, really figure out who we want back. And then they really went out and got those guys. Uh, mm -hmm. Ryan Foss had 16 goals, 45 points last year. He's back. Danny Caddick had 18 goals and 40 points. He's back. Stephen uh, Timofeyev had 17 goals and 37 points. He's back. I know those don't sound like overwhelming numbers, but again, this was not a great team and they improved as it went along. The acquisition of Keaton Jamison, I think was a great pickup, a solid blue line, uh, blue collar player, excuse me, he's a forward. Uh, but he showed in the playoffs last year with Utah that he can deliver in some big spots. Uh, on defense, there's a lot of pieces I like. Uh, DJ King, uh, I saw him in Fort Wayne. Uh, I, I thought Fort Wayne made a mistake in letting him get away last year. He's got a nice upside. He's still very young. Derek Louis Jean, uh, he's a, a nice blue collar defenseman. He'll be a little bit physical, came out of the queue. Um, and now, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, there's this affiliation shakeup with them. So now they've got sort of two affiliations. They're with Winnipeg. They have the working agreement with Carolina. So the optics are that they're going to get a lot more help this year. Um, so I, I like Norfolk. But one thing, as I was researching them, and I never thought about this, I don't know if you've thought about this, it's a little bit strange to me that Norfolk is in the North Division and not the South Division. I don't know why this never hit me before, but they're a lot closer to Atlanta than Maine. <laughs> so I know, I know somebody's got to do it. They're trying to make something on us geography, man. I, well, I, yeah. I should have known that, but just trust me. Norfolk okay. is usually you know what? considered. I'll take your word on this one. Well, they, they're evening the divisions. They're getting seven right, teams in every division. So somebody had to, somebody be has there. to be the odd. But person. when you, just when you're going through this stuff, sometimes it, things jump out and that it just hit me. I was like, why the heck is Norfolk in the North Division? Uh, so anyway, I think things are looking up for the Admirals this year, and I'm excited to see what they do. Next up, the Worcester Railers. Uh, you know, they missed the playoffs because of who we first mentioned, the Thunder. Uh, what's 
what's the makeup with them heading into camp? Uh, they've got a strong looking roster. I think the first guy that really stands out, a guy that I've talked up a lot on the show is Blade Jenkins. Mm-hmm. He had eight goals and 23 points in 21 games last season with the Railers. He's got a ton of AHL experience. Really liked him when he was with the OHL Saginaw Spirit. Uh, Keegan Howdeshell is a player that I really liked with the Kansas City Mavericks. He'll score a good bit. He'll do a lot of those blue collar things that you like. Anthony Rapazzi is a big player at this level. He's got, he had 27 goals, 54 points in 58 games last season. Um, this is a, a up-and-coming coach, Jordan Lavallee Smotherman. He's building a nice team. They acquired Zach White from the Iowa Heartlanders. He's also a nice player. He was their leading scorer last year with 40 points in 71 games. Something interesting about that is Iowa, they keep producing what I think are nice players, and then they're letting them get away or they're trading them away. And this is still a young squad there. Wonder if they should start, you know, trying to, you know, squat on some of these players for a little bit. I remember last year, Kate Oliver was a guy that went out and uh, got traded away. So, uh, Worcester, though, uh, like the start that they've got there. The Newfoundland Growlers are the great mystery of the ECHL right now. We don't know who's on the team, who's coaching the team. I think it's fair to expect it'll be competitive given that they get a lot of players from the Marlies usually, but we really don't know much. And, and, now we're at the point where I think it's fair to say there's some concern in the public eye um, what this means. And I should say, we should get our friend Dylan Collins on um, to explain this to us soon. He runs the Hockey News ECHL site based in Newfoundland. But as we've told him, we talked to him, like it's it's quiet as it is from our circles in Newfoundland. And now it's it's getting eerie with how close we are to the season. Yeah, I would say the optics are sort of frightening here. But, you yeah. know, you mentioned Dylan and I heard from him and he, he said he's hearing all systems are go there. I reached out to some people and they all told me all systems are go there. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, look, when they play, they've been great. You know, they mm-hmm. made it to finals. They've won a yep. championship, uh, conference finals last season. We know that they get a ton of help from the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs and the Marlies. So the assumption is that's where their roster is going to be coming from still doesn't make it any stranger or any less strange that they haven't announced anything other than two player signings so far. Um, So, you know, let's, uh, it's just an interesting thing to watch. I have the belief that they will be the strong team that they have been in their entire existence in the ECHL, but it's just weird to be here uh, in the last week in September and to look at a team that made it to the conference finals last year and be like, I have no idea who's going to be playing for them. So, yeah, um, I'm pretty sure one of the guys they signed, uh, he's not listed, but I saw something about them signing someone that hadn't played Hawks. Like he played senior men's league recently and he was playing uh, the Q, but like barely 10 years ago, a local guy. They signed him. I'm trying to find the name. It's not listed. Do you see that too? Uh, <laughs> I saw they signed. Uh, I know they signed Todd Skirving and like, August. I forget the name of the guy they signed this week. I didn't honestly look at his resume, but I'm sort of laughing because sometimes I find it, I see this a lot where a team makes their first signing and you get like, you're trying to pump up the fans, right? With your big first signing. And sometimes it's like some rookie defenseman out of, you know, they don't have footage of his tier one juniors that you've never heard of. And it always kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Like, Shouldn't you try to make 
kind of a splash with your first signing of the year. Like, I don't care whether it's June or whether it's September. So, so I'm not sure who you're referencing, but I, I mean, look, I, I think I'll get the name. Look. I didn't make that up. I'm not even exaggerating. Oh, I, I believe was, you. Well, while you look that up, I did want to mention one thing, which is the main Mariners. They made the playoffs last year. I'm not dissing them by not bringing them up. I actually think, um, they're off to a good start. They were third in the division last year. They were 42, 27, and three. Uh, I love the signing. I'll give you one signing that I really liked, which is Brooklyn Kalmikoff. Uh, He was with Wheeling. He had 23 goals at 52 points in 66 games. He was also a monster scorer in the queue with Moncton. Um, that was just a guy that every game I saw him, and I saw a lot of games with him, he really stood out. So for Maine to pick him up, I thought that was a really uh, nice acquisition. Can't find it. I know I'm not making that up, so I'll have to get after the show. Maybe it was last year, but that for sure happened. I can guarantee it. Um, all right, so let's shift over to the South Division. The real heavy hitters from last year. Obviously, there was a lot of good teams. Florida, the eventual champion, finished fourth in that division. Uh, you know, there was South Carolina, Jacksonville, Greenville, Florida at the top. Um, and then you had, you know, Atlanta, Orlando, and Savannah, kind of clearly a notch below. But really heavy competition last year and just before we get into each team as a whole do you expect justin this to be another strong division another yeah, season I mean, we, strong division. right we we said last year that you know we felt the the south had overtaken uh the central as as the the division and uh <laughs> i'm not seeing a whole lot to make me think differently uh it's interesting like they're definitely loading up on more tough guys in the south than i i kind of thought but you know, it's, it's really weird. You, depending on what site you look at, I looked at one site yesterday and they were talking about, here's all this compelling evidence that they're phasing out fighting in the ECHL. And of course, we know that they're trying to, but I'm seeing all these teams continue to sign and trade for these tough guys. But we see a lot of it in the South Division. Uh, it's going to be strong again from top to bottom. I mean, violent. Last, yeah, I mean, last year, Savannah, I think, finished last. That was a good team. Right. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things going on in the South. So the first team will feature is Jacksonville, a team that you've raved quite a bit about throughout the offseason episodes. You've liked a lot of their signings. Again, it's early, but how like how much the forefront are they for you right now in terms of your power rankings? Yeah, I mean, there might be a changing of the guard. I'm not ready to say that, but I think Jacksonville is in the conversation uh, of being the real power from that division, just based on what I'm seeing right now. But up and down that lineup, there are players I like. Easton Brodzinski, Matheson Iacopelli, Brendan Harris. Derek Lodemeyer is a solid goal scorer. He had 26 last season. Um, They're going to clearly stick to that kind of patented rough and tumble style that we've come to expect from them. There are nice blue collar guys that they brought in. Garrett Van Wy is one that I really like chase ruddy on defense is another one. They've got the cockerel brothers. We talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Joe Murdaco is a solid goalie. Uh, we've got to see what they get with the new affiliation with the Buffalo Sabres. But one thing we know about the Sabres is they almost always loaded up the Cincinnati Cyclones with a with a good goalie or two. So mm-hmm. I would expect the goaltending to be good in Jacksonville. Uh, if nothing else, I think they're going to be exciting. They're gonna they're gonna be a black and blue team. Uh, Ruddy Jack Van Bokel, 
Uh, lots of guys, exciting players. Interesting note that Charles Williams, the longtime goalie, he retired. He's now the goaltending coach there. So I would think uh, that's a good voice to have in the goalie's ears there. So just, I mean, I, I just look at the roster up and down. I'm like, yep, like that guy. I like that guy. I like that guy. So I think they're going to be a fun team. Not the jump head to next week's episode, but like the Idaho Steelheads, for example, right? A lot of the chatter or what we've talked about is how they have all their ECHL contracts from last year when they had the historic regular season into this year. But then you look at the Florida Everblades, back-to-back Kelly Cup champions. They've got Brad Ralph, top coach in the league. There's, I wouldn't say there's a guarantee that they're going to be a top dog this next year. No? Um, Who's coming back? Yeah, I mean, look, I I certainly would not bet against them. But yeah, based on what I'm seeing, they look really strong again. And the thing about Florida is they build for the end game. You know, we saw Mm -hmm. that last year. They were not so concerned with how they were playing in November, but they were very concerned with, you know, where they were come April. So, you know, teams that are experienced, teams that have won before and Florida's won the last two, you know, they understand – hate this cliche i can't believe i'm gonna use it but it's a marathon not a sprint uh so but yes i I really like the players they have coming back um it's difficult to sustain the type of success that florida has has had though you don't see it too often i mean colorado won back-to-back cups in 2017-18 i think it was um so here we are with florida they lost their main assistant coach, Jesse Kalki, who's now the head coach in Fort Wayne. Um, so, you know, it's a little difficult to, to judge their roster, to, at least to me right now, because I do need to see who's sent down, like who's mm-hmm. sent down from Charlotte, who's going to be there right now. But the guys that they have right now, Oliver Chow, you know, we talk about him a lot, 13 goals, 37 points in just 42 games last year. Logan Lambden, I think that's a name that we're going to be saying a lot now. Said it I a lot really last like year too. Well, but I, we said it from Kalamazoo, and then he got traded. Right. Okay. Um, sorry. I thought you meant. Like, but you're right. Name. Well, we raved about the <laughs> yes, trade. Yeah. Like I like that trade, sure. and a lot of people were kind of like Logan Lambden. Like, what did he really do in Kalamazoo? Well, put him on a better team, but let's see. And that's what we did see. Um, he had almost a point per game in the regular season. But in 22 playoff games, he had eight goals and 16 points. So I'd say he outperformed even what I expected when they got him at the trade deadline. Uh, Zachary Sekos, he was a standout for me last year with the Utah Grizzlies. In just 30 games, he had 13 goals and 25 points. So that was a really nice acquisition. Uh, Tommy Apap spent the last two seasons in the AHL with Milwaukee. Uh, I would expect him to make kind of a quantum leap in his offensive game uh, going against ECHL defenders and under the tutelage of Brad Ralph. And then Sean Josling, he was a stud with Wheeling. Uh, He is now on an AHL deal, but I assume that he'll wind up in Florida. Um, I'm a little less enthusiastic about the defensive core as I see it right now. But again, this is contingent on who they get from the Mm -hmm. AHL. And that same holds true with the goalies. So the goalie situation, as I understand it right now, is Cam Johnson, who won the last two playoff MVPs. He signed a one-way AHL deal. So did Evan Cormier, who was with Kalamazoo and looked really good at times. Um, So I'm assuming one of those guys will end up back in Florida. 
and if it's Cam Johnson, then you got no worries. If it's Evan Cormier, I think you're going to be fine. I'd like to see what he does down there in Florida, but well either way, Cormier. yeah, I mean, if there's somebody that knows how to work this system of NHL, AHL, ECHL, yeah. where, you know, where do you sign a contract? You know, do you right. get two way? Do you get a camera? It's Florida. I mean, they've been doing this forever. They do it better than anybody. So that's why I'm like, I love Jacksonville's roster, but I'm not going to say it's a changing of the guard, but it's getting close. <laughs> All right. So our last team, South Carolina Stingrays, they won the division last year. And I mean, are we talking about them last because your butt hurt about your, your Kelly cup pick or, or, why are they the last on our rankings right now? <laughs> well, I do want to talk about Savannah too. Uh, but South Carolina. Oh my gosh, um, that's an honest mistake. Sorry, I fully skipped. No, that. that's all right. My that's bad. all right. It doesn't let's matter. get to Savannah. Yeah. No, no, let's stick with South Carolina. Um, okay. they've got nice pieces. Okay, Josh Wilkins, point per game guy last year. So 62 points in 62 games. Uh, I like Jackson Leopard as a nice low-key re-signing, not just because he's got an awesome name. Uh, he had 11 goals and 29 points last season with Carol- with South Carolina and Allen. I'm really excited about the defensive core. Connor Moore is a solid-as-can-be player. He had 37 points and a plus-30 rating last season in 61 games. Chase Stewart is a guy that I've always liked, if he can stay healthy. He fights a lot. He hits a ton. Hits like a train. Uh, and he's got better offense than most people think. Uh, like a lot of these teams, a lot of, of the Stingray success is going to be determined by who is sent down by Washington and Hershey. One of those examples would be goaltender Clay Stevenson. I'm assuming he is now eclipsed the ECHL, but if him or somebody like him is, is in the ECHL in net, he's going to be really good. So to your point, no, my butt isn't hurt because I picked them to win the cup. But when I said it, it's so stupid to think of it in hindsight. But I was like, nothing would surprise me. They could lose in the first round or they could win the cup. And I've picked them to win the cup. Like, really? Justin, Justin? this is what you asked for when you want to do Kelly Cup predictions on air in front of everyone. You already had a blog written about the last time you made a prediction. Well, I'm still thinking about the episode where we had Jesse Kalki on. He's talking about Florida. And he's like, be honest, did you pick Florida to win any series the whole way? Yeah, and that was pretty I, I mean, luckily, I had only picked going into it, but it was a, a fair point. Um, so moving on to Savannah. Um, yes, their first season. Yeah, I mean, look, their first season was great. You know, they they put some butts in the seats. I think they were fifth in the league in attendance. Uh, I, I don't remember the number, 6,000-something. Um, good branding. They, good branding. I heard from a lot of people excited about Savannah. Uh, Fort Wayne fans went down there, said it was a great experience. Um, they just got to get a little bit better on the ice, but I'm pretty optimistic about them. Getting Brent Peterson back, that was a nice move. He had 27 goals, 47 points in 57 games last year. Logan Drevich is back. He had 37 points in 39 games. Nolan Valu, he's a good glue guy. He'll score. He's got some leadership. They seem to be toughening up to, which I think they realized they needed to do in this division. They re-signed Darian Skiach. They signed Tyler Drevich, who is a well-known agitator. Uh, all the way from warm-ups through the end of the game. Brandon Estes, he's an up-and-coming nice defenseman. 
Uh, one thing about the Ghost Pirates is they are very closely aligned with the Vegas Golden Knights. And that was a situation that I didn't know what to make sense of because I mm. covered a Golden Knights affiliate for, what was it, four years. And they never gave the hell. It was not a good affiliation for Was it not a dual? Sorry, pardon me. Was it a dual affiliation? Like a split no. or soul? Fort Wayne was the sole ECHL okay. affiliate of Vegas. And there was a lot of excitement because, I mean, we knew that you had to be patient because Vegas was still a new team. Yeah. And they were building their minor league. But every year it was kind of the same story. These guys are going to be sent there. Don't worry about it. And then they never arrived. Or there was just kooky things going on. But when they moved to Savannah, it became very different. Like they are very involved in the hockey operations. It's pretty clear that they had a hand in the, in the selection of the coach. And it seemed like they were giving them a nice complement of players regularly throughout the year. So if that continues... I think Savannah is going to be in good um, in good position. Uh, I need to see some of the more players that are going to be coming down. For instance, if Pat Gay ends up in Savannah again, I mean, that's a top-tier offensive player. If Isaiah Seville is back in net, for instance, then that makes them uh, a lot stronger team than we see on paper right now. But I think there's a lot of things to be optimistic about with Savannah. And I wanted to give one hat tip to like I did with Maine with the Greenville Swamp Rabbits because they made the playoffs last year and I do like what they're they've got coming back offensively Tanner Eberly, Brett Kemp those are top two line players who can dominate uh Sam Jardine is a very nice defenseman he had 44 points for the Swamp Rabbits back in 2021 and he played the last couple years in Europe so to get him back I think uh, was a really nice acquisition for the Swamp Rabbits Absolutely. Before we close off today's show, let's do another edition of Justin Cohn's news notes and quotes, starting with Spencer Carberry, the coach of the Washington Capitals and a ECHL alumni as well. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it's if it's a news or a note so much as I just want to recognize that I think it's kind of cool. Note. Like, I mean, look, it, it's not new ground for a former ECHL coach no. to coach in the NHL. I mean, we got Derek Lalonde, we got Bruce Cassidy, Bednar, you know, there's, there's a, a long list, something like 47 coaches, I think. So, but Spencer Carberry is a little bit different in that he was in the ECHL for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't necessarily have sat there, you know, whatever it was eight years ago and said, well, he's going to be coaching, you know, the NHL real soon. So, but it's just, you wake up and you realize Spencer Carberry is not only an NHL coach, but he's coaching Alex Ovechkin. And, you know, guys like that, like, it's kind of cool, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, so, but I I just wonder what he's thinking, too. Like, you know, this is a little bit different than I was, you know, coaching that guy that I'm sure is pulled up from the SPHL. A A little different than I was, you know, searching for an e-bug, you know, at 7 o'clock on a Friday night, get him down in the North Charleston Coliseum. (laughs) It must be so, like, I wonder if guys like Spencer Carberry, like, it's just muscle memory that even when, they rise up the ranks from the E, they go to the A, the N, where there's more support staff. If they're just prone to like after a game, like I got to cut film, I got to do this. Like, how do you like dial it back when you're a one man show for so long? That's the thing. Like, it must be so nice to have a staff. Yeah. Like, to like I can't even imagine. Have a staff. Like, you know, you go do this, you go do that. Um, but, you know, some of these, you got to have such confidence too. Like, I've definitely known coaches at this level who are just like 100% sure they're going to be coaching the NHL. And of course, almost none of them make it, 
Uh, I can think of one or two who are, are pretty close to it right now, but I can think of other guys that are like, they fizzled out and they were so sure. And then they're, you know, down in a different league now because, you know, they couldn't get along with players or they couldn't, right. you know, stop partying. Like there's all kinds of things uh, that derail these careers. Oh yeah. I mean, you're laughing. There are so many stories about coaches like drinking with players or getting arrested or can't cross the border. I mean, so many things out there. Um, but Spencer Carberry, it's just a cool feel good story to me that, you know, he, he's coaching the Washington Capitals. It's not that far from the South Carolina Stingrays. Couple notable retirements out of the ECHL with a South Carolina and Florida player. Tell us about that, Justin. Yeah. So I felt we should recognize, uh, speaking of the Stingrays, Andrew Chernichin, he has retired some, some numbers for you in his career. He ran, he played 508 games. And in that span, he had 367 points, 171 goals, 196 assists, was a great community guy. That was just a player you knew every time you faced South Carolina, you were in for a grind going up against him. Uh, I can remember Fort Wayne playing them a couple years ago and the coach talking a lot about how he was one of the guys they had the game plan against. So, um, you know, notable retirement there. And from Florida, Blake Winicki, he played 376 games, had 309 points, including 142 goals, and won two Kelly Cups. So stick taps to two ECHL stalwarts there. Absolutely. And last but not least, the jersey reversal date is uh, January 19th. Before I ask you if we like this, how do we know this? How, how, is this <laughs> was this released? <laughs> Uh, I think I saw that on ECHL stats, one of those accounts, okay. but I think it might actually be in the That's critical dates. Somewhere. They might put it in the critical dates. Like they, they do announce that, that stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do we like I don't it? know. Like I come from a different era than you in terms of, I think the home team should be wearing white all the time and the road team should be wearing colors. I'm okay. If you want to have the home team wearing colors, but I do find it a little confusing when you switch on the fly, but all that being said, I totally understand why. And I know I am because they want more variety for the fans. They understand that the home fans are more interested in seeing the fun, vibrant colors. Okay. So at least that's my understanding of it. And it does sort of, I don't know, like as a kid, I would go to Red Wing games and I would be excited to see the different colors of the visiting team. Like, Ooh, we're going to see green today. The Hartford Whalers are here. Best logo Mm -hmm. of all time, by the way. Uh, You know, the New Jersey devils, you know, all these things. Now it's like, all the road teams are wearing white. Like what? there's nothing you're taking the fun out of seeing various different opponents. I guess that's the way I would explain it when you're putting the road teams uh, in white, but I don't know. We're also in an era where nobody can wear the same Jersey two games in a row. I mean, especially at this level with all the, um, you know, promotion nights and Marvel mm-hmm. nights, and DC nights and, Harry Potter nights. I mean, it's gotten a little out of control all over the place. And some of these things, by the way, are league mandated. Like yeah, the league sure. will have a partnership with, let's say Nickelodeon. I don't know if they, yeah, I don't know if they have that one this year and you can pick from 
a certain number of preset jerseys, which is why you might see Cincinnati wearing the same Batman jerseys on Friday that Jacksonville is wearing on Saturday. And I get it. It's business. It's money. It gets kids excited. But I think we at some point need to think about capping the number of nights and maybe they have and I just don't know it. Uh, but I don't know. You want a little bit more branding and you want to create some sort of love and feel for the the home team's merchandise, right? Like that's what, like kind of the argument with it. Where if you're yes. wearing all these, if you're dressing up like SpongeBob and Spider-Man every third game and you're rarely wearing it, like the casual fans not getting to see it. Maybe they don't want to go buy a hat, whatever it may be. Or are you yeah, I mean, different lens? I like the, no, I like those things. It just, sometimes it gets crazy. It seems right, back to like back. last year, it seemed like they were never wearing the same jerseys in Fort Wayne two games in a row. And right here's the other element of it is, you know, can you read the numbers? Can you read the names? Are they too busy? You know, that's something that I feel like they're really not putting enough thought in is can people read the numbers? And I know maybe that's be, me being myopic as uh, as a journalist because, you know, you see the broadcasters can't get anybody's name right because they can't see the numbers. Or I'm up there at the 600 level and I can't read the numbers because it's like black on black on gray Batman jerseys, you know. So, so it's just it gets a little out of control to Fair. me and but you know i do get it like people like the, they auction the jerseys off it's mm-hmm. good business um it's family friendly it's fun for there's kids. just i don't sure. know we're, we're reversing the like just pick one i don't know i'm sure i sound like the old codger on this one but i don't know comey's corner that's what we yep. always get from you um all right let's cap it there good stuff justin thank you for that uh we'll be back next week where we'll go over the some of the teams, the Western uh, conference of things, and maybe we'll issue some retractions if things have changed insanely over the last couple of days. We'll, we'll, we'll cross. When, that bridge when, we, when we come back and Newfoundland's got 32 guys on their roster, we'll they bring Zach O'Brien back from Slovakia. They sign him to a match. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, until then though, we're going to cap it here. Thank you to everyone for listening. Be sure to tune in and subscribe on all our podcast platforms and the hockey and we'll see you next week. Take care.